What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing mixing, and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. And welcome back to another exclusive subscriber-only episode of the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host for today, Brayden from Flint Mastering, and joining me from his home studio in rainy Los Angeles, apparently, since we're recording all these episodes on the same day it's raining, is the legend himself with the mustache and the bucket hat, Daddy DK. Welcome, DK. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna let you keep doing these ridiculous intros. I'm just not. I'm no longer gonna comment on them. Uh, let's do some uh, some casual small talk to to help you feel like you're becoming better friends with us. <laughs> All right, DK. Small talk. I've got a question Uh-oh. for you because you I know for a while. Oh no! No, go what? ahead. Yes, you've known for a while what? No, uh, uh, that you you were a hype beast for a while. You got lots of cool sneakers and everything. And I myself am getting into the sneaker game. I've always been a big fan, but I've never really purchased any sneakers, uh, but just got my first pair the other day, got them on order. So I'm curious, out of everything, out of all the sneakers you've owned, which has been your favorite pair? Favorite as in the ones I wear the most or favorites as in like, favorite because I know other people covet the speaker the most, the sneaker the most. Yeah, like, like both. Like a combination. The one that I wear the most is probably my Jordan 1 per- Court Purple Lows. Mm. And, well, Court Purple Highs as well. Like the regular Jordan 1 Court Purple Highs. I, I wear those the most. have worn those the most. Uh, probably just like personally, my favorite stylistically speaking would be just in general, Jordan 1s or 3s I think are some of my favorites. Mm. Um uh, probably my favorite that I own is I own a pair of uh, off-white Jordan Euro version. So like the all-white Jordan 1s from Off-White. They wow. only sold in Europe. I bought those the day those released. Um, I hate the way they look on my feet, but I love having them because people think they're cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they Because they, they're all white and they're bulky. They look like I, I'm an astronaut about to bounce on the moon. Like they're just so ugly on feet. And they're all white too, so it's like hard to, I don't know, it's just really, just doesn't look good on feet, so I just display them in the studio. Nice. I don't own them, but like my biggest flex shoes, it's, they're my brother's, but he leaves them in the studio to be appreciated. I We have a pair of um, the 
Kanye Bapestas from like 2006, which are, oh. uh, to be quite frank, this stays a secret between you and I. And and there's only a few listeners from the podcast, but they're valued to be like almost $20,000, depending on the seller. Sheesh. Yeah, and we have those on <laughs> display at the studio. <laughs> I'm serious. It's crazy, right? That is insane. And my brother lends me them to me because he wants them to be appreciated. Mm. He like he. I want more eyeballs on this, and they're not. Nobody's gonna look at them if I just leave them in my room. Yeah, that makes sense. That's... Anyway, uh, this is a great clip that you picked today, uh, and I want to get right into it. <laughs> cool. All righty. Well, uh, yeah, I have a clip from I believe his name is pronounced Chris Salim. I think that's how it is. He has a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Chris Salim Dash Mixdown Online. He's got 88,000 subscribers. I've watched a bunch of his videos. Um, he's really fun to listen to. He's really energetic, and he gives really great tips uh, for mixing as well. And his studio looks really dope, um, at least the camera shot, the angle he's got in it anyway. So in this video, it is uh, a video that was called The Number One Mistake When Gain Staging a Session. Um, so gain staging is boring. We all know that, but we're going to talk about something he brings up in this clip that I think will make this episode very interesting. So without further ado, Chris Salim mixed down online, roll the tape. So what is the perfect gain staging level? You probably heard about the sweet spot of minus 18 dBFS. I actually talked about that before more than once. And this is actually, yes, a sort of sweet spot. The reason is very simple. If we go back to analog gear again and we look at the zero VU point, that mark point is going to be the equivalent of minus 18 dBFS. So that's why we tend to use that number as the sweet spot. And here's the number one mistake that a lot of people are going to do when gain staging a session. They're going to focus way too much on the number. They're going to take that minus 18 dBFS and they're only going to focus on that and they're gonna take ages to gain stage a session. That is a big problem. And this is something that I receive all the time by email uh, from students, from people watching my videos on YouTube. A lot of time I'm gonna have the same questions over and over again about that minus 18 sweet spot. Do I really need to be again uh, staging at that level? Uh, what if I gain stage at minus 15? Is that, you know, is that so bad? Uh, and they're just freaking way too much on that number only. And they actually lose track of what gain staging is to begin with. And this is something that is very important to understand when it comes to that minus 18 sweet spot. You don't have to freak out about this. You know, you don't have to focus too much about that level. All righty, DK. So Chris Salim told us that um, when he's gain staging or kind of the sweet spot for a gain staging number is minus 18 dB. Uh, and that's because of the VU meters back in the day. And if you get to, yeah, if you get your gain staging levels to minus 18 dB, your mix is going to sound great, uh, apparently. Um, but here's the thing he talks about he says that the big mistake that everyone makes is they hear the number minus 18 dB and they focus on the number too much and they try to get everything to that number. So it's taking them hours and hours and hours just to do the gain staging in their mix down because they're taking this number of minus 18 dB too seriously. So I've got kind of a two-part question for you in relation to this because this is something that all of us as engineers do. So why do you think it is that engineers, audio engineers specifically, we have a tendency to fixate on these numbers, like a set number uh, of something to do. So why do you think we fixate on numbers like this so 
hard? And, and why do we focus on the number too much? And then I'll ask my other question later. Yeah, so I think, yeah, there's kind of like what you're prefacing here. I think the biggest problem that people have is a general problem that we have, even I have, with over-focusing on technical aspects. Um, I have a student right now, a private student, and, and I'm, I, I can only take on like one to three students max at any point. Um, but if you're interested in doing private lessons with me, just hit me up. Um, just DM me on Instagram, I think is the best way, or email me at mixes at gmail.com. Um, I only have like one spot left at the moment. Um, but uh, as far as this, this one student of mine, he was, he was working with us, and we were working together, and we were talking about his difficulties and kind of like the barriers that he had to overcome to become a better mixer himself. And we had a long conversation about I, I listened to him talk out loud while he was mixing himself and had him explain his thoughts while he was mixing just a little bit, just to kind of like figure out where he's at, like a baseline kind of area. Um, and he he was obviously overthinking about numbers that he was supposed to be hitting, uh, exactly how many dBs of gain reduction and how many, like three dBs or like... 25 to the left and right for panning, just like exact things. And usually that doesn't matter. I have OCD too. Like I want to make sure that like I'm hitting even numbers. Like I'm going down one dB, not like one or where two, two dBs instead of like one. I don't know, stuff like that. There's some OCD stuff there, you know, but um, you could tell with him, it was getting in the way of his creative process. Like there's a few times where he obviously sacrificed what he knew was the creatively better option for, um, the purpose of executing and reaching a number or a metric or something like that. Or like just, this is just how I've been told the plugin works or like pulling up a plugin because that's how he's been told what, what he's been told to do in very many different instances. And we talked quite deeply and heavily about that and how that is hurting his mixes and how um, there's phases. Like for example, this is the way that I've been explaining it with him recently. You, we hear jazzers all the time that like play piano or, or whatever, saxophone or whatever. Uh, when they do like solo and they improvise and they swap back and forth, you know, trading fours or whatever, um, it, they're like, it feels like a conversation. You know, it's supposed to feel like a conversation. You're talking back and forth with your bandmates, but it can never feel like a conversation if you don't know your scales and your instrument super well. Like if you do not like inherent, like get to like practice your technical scales and key changes so well that it no longer becomes that you no longer have to think about the technical that it becomes just inherent or, or natural to you. Then you can start having conversations. It's the same thing with mixing. Like you have to know your tools very well. And everybody in the beginning stage who, who's learning their DAW and especially their plugins and how they affect audio, you're going to, you're going to get into the same loop. You're practicing your scales. You're, you're thinking really, really technical, but to be a real mixer and to have real conversations as a jazzer would say, you have to know the tools so damn well that you're no longer thinking about the tools. And the only way to do that is to put in time, put in time and practice and also being aware of trying to you know pacing yourself and trying to mix fast but not too fast kind of like a jog you know you got to pace yourself keep the right heart rate and make sure that you're not getting hung up on a specific track you can just come back to it later just stay paced up um these all affect 
exactly how it sounds. Okay, so like, for example, minus 18, I've heard people say like up to minus 12 or minus 15 as well. I want to change the perspective technically on this. Um, when I think of gain staging, I'm not thinking about a specific number. The only reason why that number is there or why gain staging exists at all, if the biggest reason is for the flexibility to turn things up and down, to keep the headroom so by the time you're added all of the 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 tracks and you've blended them and leveled them out that you have enough headroom to be able to turn things up even more or to turn things down even more so like for example if i mix really hot minus five and then i start adding tracks or unmuting tracks and i'm now at 100 tracks deep i'm definitely clipping but if i unmute 100 tracks that at most are hitting minus 18 dbs i'm never going to be clipping and i and i can actually like raise the volume even more so i have that flexibility that's what i'm worried about i'm more thinking about maintaining my flexibility to be able to turn things up later if I wanted to than I am about... That's the entire point of the numbers. There's a secondary thing. It's like some analog gear and some... Uh, a lot of analog gear has like a pl like a sweet spot for like gain staging and like plugins as well that emulate analog gear. I I'm not worried about that at all because I could change that later. What I am worried about is making sure that I maintain the headroom so I can choose to turn things up or down later. And I'm not forced to have to turn everything down when I find out that I've been turning everything up and, and all of a sudden the mix bus is now clipping and I can hear it. You know, I don't want to be doing that. So it's more about that my sweet spot is more based around the flexibility that I have. I'm giving myself with headroom in the mix, not a number. That makes sense. <clears throat> and I, uh, I, okay, so the next question I have for you then is... You know, you said you're trying to mix focus on flexibility, not on a number, okay? But we all have a tendency to focus on the number. So when you notice yourself starting to focus on the number, what methods do you use for avoiding doing something like that? Or how do you get yourself out of a rut? So like if, if that's happening to our listeners, they notice they're, they're, they're focusing on the numbers too much, what's something that you do that maybe they could try applying to help get them to stop focusing on the number so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think one is being aware. If you've if you're paying attention enough and aware enough to notice that you're paying attention to numbers right now, in lieu of uh, creative, you know, creativity, um, emotionally correct answers. You know, uh, I do think that you're you're hitting the first step is recognition, awareness of that it's happening. I think the second thing to do, the easiest answer is taking a break. Mm. At that point, taking a break, stepping away from the computer completely is the best answer. Um, but if you don't have time to do that, if you're in a time crunch, then I would just move on to a different track and come back to that later. Uh, another option is to just totally start over with that track. I've done all three. I've taken breaks when I notice I'm becoming, uh, uh, in a, in, I'm unable to, how do you say, to, to embody inspiration, you know, to let inspiration flow through me. If I'm unable to do that and I've lost inspiration, I'll take a break. Um, if I'm realizing that I'm losing bias, uh, with, uh, my unbiased nature with, with the tracks then I'll move on to another one and come back to it later. Um, if I've just done so many different plugins and so many different things, I'll, I'll also just sometimes just start over completely, like take every, all the plugins off and like kind of start back from scratch and maybe even try to do the same thing, but with way less plugins, you know? Um, so those are three easy ways that I kind of try to go back to normal. Nice. 
That's awesome. I think those are all things that are very, very easily doable by our listeners that they can, uh, you can actually try. And one, one thing that I'd like to do is I just close my eyes. It's like the easiest way to get rid of numbers and things like that. Just close your eyes. And, uh, like, so what I would suggest is like, let's say you're limiting something right at the end of the track, you want to get a super lab, but you don't want it to distort or crunch. Uh, let's say with your eyes open, you get the attack and the release settings good to go. And then you want to know how much gain to, or how loud to drive it. So you can put your, put your mouse on the gain button, you know, whether you drag it up, whether you twist it in a circle, whatever you do, click on it, like you're going to use it and then close your eyes and then just move it up and down or left and right, however it works, until you find the sweet spot. And that way, you're not looking at numbers. You're not looking, oh, am I up at minus 9 LUFS? Am I am I at 4 dBs of gain reduction? Like, you're not focusing on any numbers. You're just purely focusing on how it sounds. Um, and that being said, you know, there's general rules and guidelines. If you open your eyes and you've got 9 dB of gain reduction on your final limiter, and you're like, well, I think it sounds pretty good. Like, who knows? Maybe it does then. Uh, I would wager that it probably doesn't. But at that point, you know, maybe there's something else in the mix that you need to go back and adjust or look at so that you can get the volume level you want or you can get the sound you want with your final limiter or compressor or whatever it may be without doing something kind of like insanely drastic, which I'm coming at it from a mastering perspective. So I like to do small moves. But, you know, when you're mixing, you can do crazy stuff. So that that doesn't even matter if you have an IDB of gain reduction. Like there was uh, that, that guy Colt Caparoon that does a lot of YouTube content um, for mixing. I've seen him compress a vocal where he's using like the LA-2A and the needle is just like pinned to the left like the whole time the person's singing it's like minus 20 dB of gain reduction or whatever and it sounds great so it doesn't matter <laughs> it's true you know? Jesse Jesse Ernster has talked I think on the on the podcast before in an interview um, Jesse's talked about how he pulls up like um, a force the force quit window which doesn't hide behind uh, other windows so like it stays in the front um, he pulls that up and he covers VU meters on compressor so he can he forces himself to not look at the gain reduction meter nice uh, yeah and I think I, there's many different ways that you can cope with it I don't ever have to do anything like that I don't have to trick myself as long as I just know okay this isn't working yeah you know well that's and I think that's a that's uh an attestment and an, uh I don't know what word that's that attests to your experience and how long you've been doing this and just learning things over time. And, you know, like basically all the experience you've gathered from all the years of doing this, you might not have to use some kind of crazy drastic technique to figure out what to do because you've done it so much, you know what to do. So again, like you said, sometimes you just got to put in the time. I, the last thing that I want to bring up before we close out this episode is, is uh, there's, been, there's a lot of other people that have been doing this longer than I have like decades longer than I have. Um, and I think the biggest thing when it comes to practice and setting expectations is um, I make my living from mixing, meaning that like I'm mixing very, very regularly and consistently for many people, many different styles and genres of music for different needs and different styles and different expectations. Um, it's more about the consistency of my work and more, and also about that I'm always working for client approval. 
and 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 we've talked about this before in the past. Like I think like practice is incredibly important to figure out how to use your tools and kind of set habits and and you know kind of let yourself be more creative. Um, consistency is super important for that. But it's also being consistent, um, getting seeking approval because that way. Because if you just get practice stems with no objective or no one to approve the mix, what you're doing really is is you're you're just mixing subjectively. Where if there's a client's approval that you need to hit, then you're mixing objectively. And that's a form of practice that you can't get otherwise. So this is why I say go ask some friends, some local people, go on to Facebook groups, Discord channels, and just offer mixing for free instead of just downloading practice stems because the pressure of seeking client approval is honestly half the work. It's going to focus on how you mix and what to pay attention to. And more importantly, if you're trying to go full-time, the psychology of mixing and like dealing with clients and service-oriented service work. So... Uh, I do think that that's incredibly important. Um, me, not so much like doing years. There's many people that are probably listening right now that are that have mixed longer in terms of years than I have, but I've mixed more songs and more consistently during, because uh, I've been mixing now. Um, I've been an audio engineer now for, oh, like eight, nine years. Nine years professionally. Eight, eight, eight coming up on nine years professionally. And uh, uh, it's not that much time, honestly. Actually, I might I might have just hit eight years. I think it's next year when I hit nine. I'm not sure. So not quite a decade, um, but there's been a lot of, and I've been mixing consistently. In 2020, I mixed 1,000 songs, 1,019 specifically. Like nobody can really claim that. And that year, I almost quit audio and mixing because I was super stressful and I would never, ever recommend to do that. But like I got really good during that time frame. Um, so I would recommend it's, it's not about just mixing one song a month, like go out and go out of your way to like, try to be a little bit more consistent. I think just like a jazzer, it's more about the consistency of practicing rather than how long over the years you've been practicing. I agree. I think that's a great note to end on. I, I can't make the podcast any better from this point. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, That's a good uh, way to finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that note, yeah. um, uh, if you are wanting to hire someone for mastering, you can talk to uh, Braden uh, at Flint Mastering. You can talk to me if you're looking for mixing or vocal production or anything like that. Um, if you want to book some studio time in LA, go to inthemixstudios.com um, or just DM us and I'll give you a code so you can get a discount to some LA studio time. Um, join us on Discord if you haven't already. Follow me on, subscribe on my YouTube channel or follow me on Twitch. Um, and that's kind of it. That's all the call to end stuff. Do you do you want to yep. close us out this time, Braden? I sure I can if you want me to. <laughs> uh, the last thing I'll say is with hiring us, uh, just let us know you're an exclusive member and you will get a discount if you need to hire us for whatever reason. So with that, my friends, for like I don't know the fifth time ever. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy.